First John chapter three. Last two verses. We have been in this book for twelve weeks, counting today. And today is our last day that we will look at this chapter. First John chapter three. And as I normally do in my classes at school, the last day is final exam. I'm just going to give you a quiz, all right? That sounds a lot less painful, doesn't it? Uh, A quiz. What are the three essential truths taught in this chapter? Like Christ, love brother, live truth. Good. All right. So far we're passing. Uh, That's chapter 3, 1 through 9, be like Christ. Chapter 3, 10 through 17, love our brother. Chapter 3, 18 through 24, live the truth. How often are these three essentials to occur in our lives? Daily, always. Good answers. Perfect. Good. How are you doing? Oh, that wasn't on my quiz. I just, just, just wondering. Why are we to be like Christ and love our brother and live the truth? Give God the glory. What's that? We're his children. Yes. He gave his life for us. Uh Uh-huh. He told us to. Yes. I have because God told us to. Because we are his children. We saw that in verse number 2, especially. Beloved, now we are children of God. And so that's an expectation. Because the world needs to see it. Right? The world needs to see it. Verse number 10 told us, uh, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. If we're children of God, it should be obvious, right? If these are signs that uh, uh, we are doing what uh, God told us to do as His children then the world needs to see it. Remember, the way that that God has worked in our lives, He has made us living examples of these truths. Being like Christ and loving our brother and living the truth are, are not just for us. It's for the world to see what God does in our life. Now, the essential part of that is certainly this, and you know it as well. Where else is the world going to find these things if we aren't living them, if we're not loving, and if we're not like Christ? We're the source. And we're called to this. So that's why. That's why. How is it possible for us to be like Christ, love our brother, and live the truth? The Holy Spirit's work in our life, yes. Abiding, that's essential. He's also taking care of our sin problem, hasn't he? We saw that in verse number 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. You saw it again in verse number 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, but the devil is sin from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So he's dealt with the sin problem, right? 
He's given us a solution for that. So we're able to be like Christ, love our brother and live the truth. He's abiding in us, right? We see that all over the page here. But verse number 6, No one who abides in him sins. The one who uh, sins has seen has not seen him or known him. We have that verse we talked about. We saw it again when we traveled down to verse number 9. No one who has been born of God practices sins because his seed abides in him. Abiding is essential. And so we've learned that's part of the howl. Uh, to, to live like Christ, to love our brother and to live truth. It's, he abides in us. And that's just what we saw a couple weeks ago in verse number 22. He will give us what we ask for. How is it possible? We ask and what does he give? The very thing we need to be like Christ and to love our brother and to live the truth. Now, we've been on this for 12 weeks, including today. Have we got a better understanding of the passage? Have we come to a place? I know some of you are here. This We didn't get the other 11 messages. Well, we can start all over if you want us to. Or you can just go to our website and you'll find all of them there too. But... When we, when we come to this place at the end of a study, are we ready to say, I understand it? Are we ready for the final exam? I'll tell you what the final exam is. Go and do it. That's your final exam. Go and do it. Now, this final exam is going to take the rest of your life to complete. Go and do it. Go and do it. Now, today we're going to look at verse 23 and 24. And I call this a little study on this and that. Alright? This and that. And it's not just miscellaneous stuff that goes along with it. It's actually under the topic of living truth. It says in verse number 23, This is the commandment, that we have believed in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. That's where we're going to be today. So let's ask the Lord for help. Heavenly Father, as we begin our study here, uh, we are so thankful that you have written down your word, that we can pull it up today, we can pull it up constantly, every day, We can look at it and get the direction we need for our lives. I pray that we're good students of yours. That we study your word. That we learn it and we apply it. For your honor and glory and for the changes it makes in our lives. I trust, Lord, that we we do more with this text than just look at it here this morning. Challenge us with it, I pray, Lord. Change us with it, I pray as we seek to understand it, you teach us, Father, and we will sit at your feet and learn. Thank you for our time here and for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, if you've noticed when I just read that, and you can see it yourself in verse 23 and verse number 24, the word commandment keeps popping up, doesn't it? We have it twice in verse 23. We have it again in verse number 24, the word commandment. It just keeps Showing up on the page. Now we'll stop for a minute and talk about the word commandment as we get started. Uh, The Greek word means an injunction, an order, 
Of course, it's a command. Uh, a requirement. An authoritative prescription. That's what one of my uh, lexicons gave it. An authoritative prescription. Sounds like we need a doctor to help us with this one, huh? A prescription. Now, you've met people like this, and I don't think these are the kind of folks that doctors like to really hear about, but they send them home with a prescription, and then they modify it to their own desires. Oh, I'll take it here, I'll take it there. They don't follow the exact instructions. They just kind of uh, work it. You've never met anyone like that, have you? They just do what they want with what they've been told that's best for them. They, they constantly alter the prescriptions and things. Let me ask you a simple question. When you see God's commandments, are they adjustable to your own preference? No, they're not. As we've studied through 1 John 3, have we found anything in here that we probably ought to sit down and talk it through with God and let Him know that maybe it's just not going to fit that way with us? That we should maybe debate a little bit. Maybe, maybe, Lord, you know, isn't this part a little more optional than the rest? Have we found a verse like that? As we've studied through here. Now, would you say that we can live like Christ only to the percentage we're comfortable with? All of a sudden you're starting to get uncomfortable, aren't you? What does commandment mean? It, it, it's not an option, is it? It's not just a suggestion. It, it, it's not uh, something that we adjust as we go. But it's something that's a must. An absolute must. Now, he said the word three times in the, pit, in the verses we have. So, we've got something very important for us as far as a must. And the thing starts this way in verse number 22. It says, this is his commandment. All of a sudden, you have to stop and say, what is? What is his commandment? Well, let's find something here as we work through this. Back up to verse number 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. What is the one word we use for that whole phrase? What do we call that? Prayer, right? Prayer. We were just talking about prayer. Now, is prayer an elective in the Christian life? You know what an elective is, right? It, it's an optional thing, yeah. Um, I have a class I teach at a Bible institute. It's Greek classes. They are considered electives. I wish they were requirements. But they're electives. That means the student can take it, and if they don't like it, or they find it too hard, or they just think I give too much homework, and they hate my test, they can drop out. They, that option is theirs. Have we treated prayer like that over the years? As if it's just an elective on the Christian life? Uh, you know, we, we pray when we're up to it, when we feel like maybe that's just a good idea for today, but some days we just don't think it's necessary. Is it, is it that kind of an approach we give to our prayers? I'm not hammering on you just to make you feel guilty, all right? And start attending our Wednesday night Bible studies and prayer meetings. Although, if you do feel guilty about that, I know a solution. And that is, come on Wednesday night and join our prayer meetings and Bible study. But, prayer. Think for, for just for a minute, prayer. Verse 22, we were just in this department. It is linked to this commandment we're about to see in verse number 23. 
Grammatically, it's even part of the sentence structure that we're working through here. Um, and I'm going to read it to you this way. Verse 22, and I'm going to take out little pieces on purpose because I just want to read the, the, the main chunk of each verse as they go together. Grammatically from the sentence. Whatever we ask from Him, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. Do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment. We always hesitate between those two verses as if they're two different thoughts. They are not. He's talking about prayer, and he says, this is his commandment. Commandments to us, to pray. Do we have, do we have verses in Scripture that tell us to pray? Pray always. We're going to look at some of those. Think of this for a minute. This. That, I told you it was this and that, right? Here's our this. This is his commandment. We call that a demonstrative pronoun in grammar. What that means is it's pointing at something. Right? It demonstrates. It's a pointing. Pointing word. That's what we call it. A pointing word. Webster, in his uh, dictionary on what is a demonstrative, uh, he says, it's invincibly conclusive. Having the power of showing with clearness and certainty. And it's a summary of sort that, that is speaking in a terrific way of what's just gone before. This is His commandment. He just told us to pray. This is His commandment. Put it this way. It is His commandment that we be like Christ. Have we already seen that? It's in the passage. We've learned it. It is His commandment to be like Christ. Uh, and it is His commandment that we bring that before Him in prayer simply because we can't do it by ourselves, can we? We have to go before Him in prayer. It is His commandment that we love our brother. Is that true? We saw that as well in chapter 3. Now, it's also His commandment with that we bring it before Him in prayer because you can't do that yourself. It is His commandment that we live the truth. And his commandment that we bring that before him in prayer because he knows you can't do that yourself. All of these things are dependent on him. And that's his commandment that we go to him. That we go to him. That's his commandment that we ask. I doubt that I have to go over all the New Testament to show you how to support this as a commandment. But there are two examples and they're real simple. In Matthew 7, verse number 7, Jesus is teaching, and he says a verse that most of us probably have learned in some little Sunday school song. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And you say, how do you remember those in order? A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. Helpful, huh? Just taught you something new. Ask, how often? The verse says, all the time. Present active imperative in the Greek. That means keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Seek. Present active imperative. Keep on seeking. Keep on seeking. Keep on seeking. You want to guess about knock? Same word. Keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. All of those are what we call imperatives. That means they're commands, not options. He told us to do that. 
keep on asking. And then another verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, just mentioned. Pray without ceasing. You want to know what pray means here? Grammatically? Present, active, indicative. Which is what we call, keep on praying, keep on praying, keep on praying. Imperative, sorry. Imperative, it's a command. And how are we to keep on praying? Without ceasing. That's pretty uh, intense, isn't it? Keep on praying without ceasing. That's the way it comes out. So prayer is a commandment. Just a simple picture. Just get us started here. Does that allow us to consider it optional now? No, it doesn't. It's a commandment. Here's what I also add with commandments, and it's, it's just a simple picture as well, but if we are not doing it, what are we? Disobedient, right? Ouch. Okay. Prayer is His commandment. Prayer is His commandment. And so, this is His commandment. That's where we start, verse 23. That's based on the previous thought. He's pointing right at it. Say, see that thing I told you about asking, you shall receive? This is His commandment. He's pointing right at it. This is His commandment. Now, when we are obedient in praying, there are results. There are results. We saw in verse number 22, especially, we're asking, and what is he doing? He's giving, right? He's at, we're asking, we need this, Lord, to, to full, fulfill your will. We need this, and he's giving, because he's a gracious God, and he does do that. But I'm going to call these other things as well, in the rest of verse 23 and into verse 24, the results. And I'll tell you why I'm going to call them results, because of the word that. You say, but it looks like a that. What, what do you mean, that? Uh, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And it goes down through the rest of the list. These are the result words. In Greek, we call it a hina. A hina means purpose, result. It, it's, it's not another one of those pointing words like this or that. It's not that kind of a that. It, it's not a pronoun, demonstrative pronoun. It's a conjunction which shows, I know it sounds technical, but they have different reasons in the sentence. This is pointing at the prayer. That is saying the results. So that. Maybe that will help. That's another way we interpret it. Or in order that. Now all of a sudden it's starting to show a little better, isn't it? Why do we follow this example? In order that, so that we may... Oh, do you like the word may? <laughs> That's called a potential. You know what potentials are? They're terribly convicting. Because potentials say what ought to be, and it comes back and reflects on us, because all of a sudden we have to ask a big question, right? Is it true, or is it not true of us? That's the problem with potentials. Every time I see them, I, 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 I see them as a challenging kind of verb and a convicting kind of verb because something is riding on the results here. What's riding on it? My response. If I do it, these are the results. If, I, if, there's that word. They can be realized, such as what we're going to see. All these things can be realized but something has to take place for it to happen. That's a potential. It speaks of what should be happening. 
And that always follows our that's, by the way. When you see a that in the middle of a sentence, and if you pull it up and say, hey, that's a hinna, someday you'll get the joy of saying that. You say, oop, purpose. That means the rest of this is going to depend on something. Now, this is kind of interesting. Because if you're starting to wonder, where's this going to go? Look at the rest of verse number 23 and see what is resting here as a potential. This, this prayer, is his commandment in order that, or so that, we may believe, I inserted the may because it's a potential, we may believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. And you're saying, uh-oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean we may believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ? I thought we did believe. Don't we? It's a trick question. It is. Yes, we do believe. Theologically, we understand that. We believe in his name. I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I received him as my Savior. Uh, he is my Savior. We call that belief, don't we? And we usually put an ED on the end of it. I believed. Right? That's the way we generally work with this word. I believe. But notice what John is writing. Look at the words. That, and then what's the second word after that? Do you have the same thing I have? Two letters, starts with a W. We? Who's writing? John. Oh, I thought John was a believer. What's John putting himself in this story for? What's John mean when he says that we may believe? Why didn't he say that you might believe? That way he's, he's separating himself from the ones he's talking to. Why can he put himself in the very phrase that we may believe? Well, he's not talking to unbelievers, is he? Did you find unbelievers in this passage? Behold, now we are children of God. Who's he talking to? Believers. And then he throws himself in this same picture. This is not an evangelistic verse, by the way, folks. He's talking about how are we living. Let's replace the word believe because sometimes that's where we stumble. The word is also trust, right? The word is also have faith in. Do you interpret trust as a one-time event? Uh Uh-huh. I trusted him a long time ago. What do we normally put with the idea of trust? Isn't that something we do all the time? We're supposed to. We're called to trust and trust and trust and always trust. Have faith in Him. How often should we have faith in Him? Okay, you're starting to see a little bit of a picture of what this is saying to us here. How often is trust and faith and belief needed in the Christian life? Well, I know it gets us started, but what else? It's a thing that we need all the time. Isn't that true? We must keep on trusting. We must keep have our faith. That's a department that needs work. Scripture tells us, even Peter tells us, it should be growing. Your faith should grow. It should enlarge. There's so many great words on faith. But what are we trusting? Let's add that element too. What's he say we're trusting in? 
Same verse, verse 23. What are we trusting? No one knows. <laughs> In the name of Jesus Christ, right? In the name of Jesus Christ. That's not just a title. That's not a title. And the Jewish mentality, the, what they considered uh, your name is your reputation. They considered your name to be your honor. They considered your name to be your character. Your name carried a lot, of, a lot more to it than just a title. It was your reputation. It was your honor. It was your character. So let me reword the phrase a little bit for you to get some help in what John is saying here. We need to keep on praying in order that we may trust in his reputation. That's not tricky. tricky. (laughs) Prayer builds what? Trust. Do you know that? Prayer builds trust. I'll tell you why it does this. Because answered prayer shows his reputation, doesn't it? Shows his character. He's told you to ask him, and what does he promise to do? Give it. Do you trust that? See, the more we trust that, the more we pray as he tells us to, the more we are convinced of his reputation, of his character, of his promises that he's going to keep. Why do you think he's taught us to pray in his name? Why do we say at the end of a prayer, in Jesus' name, amen? That's just the caboose, right? That's how we know the train is gone. When I was a kid, we loved the cabooses. We always knew the caboose was that thing that came last. Anymore, they don't have cabooses, and it's sad. I miss the cabooses. But the caboose always tells you, oh, train's at the end. When we pray, we tack on, in Jesus' name, amen. There was a lady in one of our churches that when she heard that, she knew it was time to put her shoes on. Service was over. Right? She told me that one day. I didn't know that. The whole time she's without shoes, but wouldn't you say, in Jesus' name, whoop, in they go. Service is over. Is that why that's tacked on? Just so we know it's coming to an end? Or are we praying, acknowledging that his reputation and his character are the answers to what our problems are. That's why we add it, you see. In Jesus' name, we're talking about his reputation. Have you ever prayed according to his reputation? According to his character? Boy, that would change your prayers. That would change your prayers, even the answers to your prayers. Then you're now trusting in his will and not yours. Prayer drives you to trust Him. Just adding the whole picture. It's in keeping with our trust of Him. God designed it so. You know, that's an amazing thing too when you stop to think about it. When God was designing all that He did, He designed prayer too. And He says, I'm going to put prayer in their life. I'm going to make it such a necessity that they pray to me. I don't want them to be self-sufficient. So, when he was making us, he didn't give us omnipotence. Have you noticed that? He didn't give us omnipotence. All power. He didn't give us that. Because he wanted us weak so that we go to him for strength. And ask him. Notice he didn't give us omniscience either. I know as parents we would love to have that little gift. Omniscience. 
For a while, I think my kids thought I had it. We lived in a, in a parsonage where the bedrooms were up above the living room, and there was this wonderful creek in the hallway that when you stepped on it, you could hear it downstairs, this sound. And every time we heard it, we'd just yell, Get back to bed! And they're like, How do you know we're out? They thought we were omniscient. <laughs> There's a creek in the floor. Oh, I gave away my secret. Children don't listen. Parents have all kinds of things like this. The fact is, we're not omniscient. You know why? Because God says, I want them to come and trust me for wisdom. I want them to come to me for answers. I want them to be limited so that they know that I am the one who gives them direction. So he's made that a need for prayer. He could have made us omnipresent. But he chose not to. He could have made us omnipresent. I know as a parent, I would love to have that. Every time my kids go this way and this way and this way to school, I want to go with them. But I can't. I sit by the phone. And I wait to hear that they're there safe. And things like that. We can't be everywhere, but who can be? God can be. And so guess what he's designed prayer to be? To recognize our limitations and we need to go to him for that help, don't we? So we learn to pray. This is the entire picture I set before you here. The that of the sentence is that we may be believing him. That's why he's given us this need for prayer and the command for prayer. That we may be trusting him. He's designed it so. So he's told us to pray. That's his commandment. And he's told us the purpose so that we learn to trust him. That we may, that we may, that we may believe him. You see? That's our potential. I wish it were a reality. But that's our potential. We are to believe him. We are to believe him. The same thing in the rest of verse 23 is the same whole picture is that we may love one another. That also is writing on all this. He's telling us to pray, to pray, to pray, so that we may be loving one another. Now, loving one another is a command, right? We saw that. Look at the end of verse number 23. Just as he commanded us, loving one another then is dependent upon our obedience to asking that we love one another. I don't know if you've noticed this. As much as we may desire this, we can't change other people. Have you tried? Mom? Dad? Have you tried? Uh huh. I've tried. The pastors are notorious for this problem, too. We cannot change people. Sometimes we find a person that we say just needs fixed. And we dedicate an awful lot of effort to fixing them, don't we? And then we get frustrated when they're not. We're trying to fix it. We're trying to fix it. We're trying to fix it. Stop for a minute and ask another series of questions. Who fixes people? Who is the one who changes people's character? You know the answer, but you don't want to tell me. The Lord does it, right? God is the one who changes. And who does he change people to be like? People who are believers in Christ? Guess what he changes them to be? Like Christ. All of them? Okay, you ready for that? All of them. 
we think sometimes, well, may, maybe it's just some of them. Because we know certain ones that, <laughs> Lord, they're not anywhere like Christ. I know they're called a brother in Christ, but aren't you going to fix that person? You know what he promised? They will be like him, for they will see him as he is. Don't put your timetable on God's work. Do what God said to do. Love them. God changes them. We love them. Whose department isn't changing? That's God's. What has He told us to do? Love. You say, but that's hard. He says, yes, pray about it. You see? That's the potential that lies in here. Keeping the right perspective is keeping it understood who makes it possible. Who makes loving your brother possible? It's God who does it. So we have to keep coming to Him. See, God changes people. We love one another. It's a command that depends on us asking, asking, asking. So it's realized in our life. If we're not praying about it, we're not obeying. If we're not praying about it, we're not obeying. See, pastors need this lesson just as much and maybe more than anyone else. A pastor's counseling session, those mystical things that are supposed to do wonders and miracles in people's lives, are nothing more than somebody comes in and they share their problem and we pray about it because God is the answer. The pastor is not the answer. God is the answer. I can pray about it. I can pray with you. And I'd love to. Anytime you need it, or sit and pray with you. It's God who will change the heart. It's God who will change the character. That's the kind of need we have in loving one another. Take it before the Lord in prayer. That's our commandment. That we may be loving one another just as He has commanded us. Starting to see it? Verse number 24. The one who keeps His commandment abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Theological fact. When we receive Christ as Savior, we are called in Him. Let's pray. In Him. I noticed that in the, the back of Ken's Bible. Back page. In Him, mentioned 120 times in the New Testament. Did he count all that? I don't know. That's a lot of counting. Now, as we would say this in, in study, if it says it once, it's important. If it says it twice, you better be listening. If it says it three times, you better be doing it. It says it 120 times. Now what do you do? In Him. We, 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 do we need convinced of the fact that we're in Him when we come to know Him? I don't think so. Scripture is so full of that information. But would you like that theological fact of being in Him to also be something you're convinced of in experience too? Right in the middle of verse 24, we know by this that He abides in us. It's a sweet confirmation, folks. We know. We know by experience that He is abiding in us. Or even that He is abiding in us. We are abiding in Him. 
it, it's a, a deep-rooted or deep-rooted need in our heart to know that we're doing it His way. To know that we're abiding in Him. We like to know that. I'll picture it this way for you. The more we ask, the more we are trusting. The more we are trusting, the more we are loving. And that means the more we're going to Him. The more we're discussing with Him. The more we're learning of Him. What one word fits all of this perfectly? the word abiding. We call it living. We live in Him. Living is not a fact, it's an act. We're called to live in Him, to abide in Him. And this is a picture, and it's so beautiful. We can't do anything without Christ. So we're called to abide in Him, right? Any of these things we learned here, like loving, can you do that without Him? No. Let's walk it through this way. We cannot live like, or we cannot be like Him without Him. That's logical. We cannot be like Him without Him. We cannot love like Him without His love. We cannot live truth without His truth. We call this abiding. When we go to Him, we go to Him to receive what we need. It assures our soul in the whole process. And it reminds us again, He's living in us. That's a simple way to render this last verse. Because too often, we kind of approach the Christian life like installing new programs on our computer. I'm so frustrated with the whole idea. They were supposed to make our lives easier. Remember that promise years ago? What did they do? I'm installing a program and this computer says, you can't do that, you don't have this. You've got to go get that. You've got to put in this and that, this and that. All these this and that you've got to add to make this program work. As a believer, when you're saved, there is nothing else to install. Who indwells you? The Holy Spirit. Who is He? God. What else do you need? You see a picture all of a sudden? very important that we understand this. Our relationship with Christ is established. The Holy Spirit has indwelled us. We want the assurance. We start to do it, and He says, yes! And He provides for us. And we see it. We're becoming like Him. We're loving our brother. We're living the truth. And it assures us more and more and more. And we say, that's abiding. I'm starting to understand it. See, being one of God's children is not just a title. It's a life. It's a life we live. So we live it. We abide in it. We do the commandment by praying so that we might be trusting, so that we might be loving, and it brings us to abiding. We abide in Him. Nothing else needed to add. Do it. There's your final exam. Do it. If it takes the rest of your life, do it. Abide in Christ. A daily essential. Be like Christ. Love your brother. Live the truth. Talk to Christ about it. And do it. Heavenly Father, we need these things. An adjustment to our lives. Right now, we need it. 
For so often we trust our own strength to accomplish your will. And I don't know why we do that, but we do. Too often, Lord, we think it's our wisdom that's going to see this through. And yet it's yours that you have offered to us. Far too often, Lord, we we put so many conditions on things based on our own preferences and our own desires and our own opinions. And yet you haven't left us any room but to abide in you. And that's when these things are, are brought about. Teach us this lesson, Lord, we pray. And as we pray, draw us close. And as we draw close, teach us more of our dependence on you. That we might be like Christ in every way. That we might love our brother at all times. That we might live the truth that this world might see. There is a difference that Christ makes in us. That they may see the truth. Lord, work in our hearts and our lives. We are your children. We're blessed for being that, but we're challenged in that too. Help us to live for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.